This is the Feminine Podcast, the official podcast of Feminine, discussing all things femme, a little bit of EM, and everything in between. I'm Jenny Beck Esme, Editor-in-Chief of Feminine. Next up from our Fix 19 content, we have a talk from Dr. Brina Tyra. She's the Director of Research for the Department of Emergency Medicine at All of You UCLA Medical Center. In her talk, called Achieving Language Justice in the ER, she explains how we, as healthcare practitioners, have not only an ethical obligation, but also a legal one based on the Civil Rights Act to provide language assistance to limited English proficiency patients. It's an eye-opening talk. I really hope you take a listen, and I hope you enjoy. I'd like to start with a story from my medical school days. It was my first day of clinical rotations as a third-year medical student. I was on the general surgery service, and we were rounding on our patients. The team entered a small room in the emergency department like this one, that, um, where there was a patient who was admitted for acute cholecystitis. The chief asked the patient how she was feeling. When she didn't answer, another resident said, Spanish-speaking only, at which point the chief approached the bedside and began pushing on her abdomen. Dolor, dolor. When the patient grimaced, he was apparently satisfied with his evaluation. And so he turned and led the team out of the room. No explanation was offered to the patient. She was clearly terrified, so I hesitated, hoping to explain or to comfort her. But this elicited a stern look. Hurry up, the OR starts in 20 minutes. And so I, too, hustled out of the room to keep up with the team. There's nothing really remarkable about that particular patient. It was just a cholecystitis. But that case stayed with me. There was something about the combination of the unrelieved fear in her eyes and it being my first day on the clinical wards. And it wasn't until several years later that I understood why. Because this was my introduction to a medical culture that normalizes under-communication with limited English proficiency patients. There are more than 350 languages spoken in the United States, and more than 25 million people speak English less than very well, which is the standard definition of limited English proficiency, or LEP. This map shows the percentage of people over age five who speak a non-English language at home. So we can see from the blue spread all across this map that no matter where it is that we practice emergency medicine, we will have patients with limited English proficiency. What I didn't know on that first day of my general surgery clerkship was that that was the first of many episodes that I would witness of undercommunication with LEP patients, both in my medical education and during my career. Under the underuse of interpreters is documented throughout the medical literature in many different clinical settings. So it's actually not just the surgeons. So even when formal language assistance is readily available, providers underutilize the service, preferring to muddle through either using their own language skills or an ad hoc interpreter, such as a family member. It's considered a trade-off with efficiency because it takes time to make the phone call or to wait for the interpreter to arrive. So let's look at some emergency medicine-specific data. So these data points span multiple cities across multiple decades. And they show us rates of, rate, rates of interpreter use for limited English proficiency patients in the emergency department. And so we can see just how low the rates really are, 18%, 24%, 26%. 
So how is it that we're seeing so many limited English proficiency patients without using interpreters? Some of the gap of in, in interpreter use may be secondary to providers utilizing their own non-English language skills in the clinical setting in order to improve their efficiency. And to some extent, this also explains the recent popularity of medical Spanish classes. But does learning medical Spanish help the patients? Not really. Lisa Diamond, one of the leading researchers in this area, states that brief, intense language courses in groups of medical trainees with otherwise limited Spanish proficiency may lead to decreased use of interpreters and significant communication errors. And sometimes, these errors can be incredibly dangerous. In fact, one of the sentinel legal cases around language access hinged on the misunderstanding of just one word. How many of you know about the $71 million word? No one. This is a case that we all should be aware of. This is the case of Willie Ramirez. He was an 18-year-old Cuban baseball player living in South Florida. One night, he was driving, and he developed a severe headache. So he pulled into his girlfriend's driveway, and he screamed to get the attention of the family inside. As they came running out to see what was going on, they witnessed him vomit in the driveway and then collapse into unconsciousness. So they called 911, and they went with Willie to the hospital. But they were thinking, they had all been together earlier in the day, and they had all eaten hamburger for lunch. This was a strange food to them, and so they assumed it must have been this strange food that made him ill. So when they arrived in the emergency department, they said to the doctor, Doctor, pensamos que él está intoxicado. Doctor, we think that he has food poisoning. The doctor, who did not call an interpreter, thought he understood what was going on. He heard the word intoxicado and understood intoxicated which is a false cognate. So he intubated Willie, and he admitted him to the ICU with the diagnosis of drug overdose. It wasn't until 48 hours and two negative talk screens later that the ICU doc sent him for a head CT and recognized his subarachnoid hemorrhage. So Willie's alive and a quadriplegic and living off of the $71 million settlement that he received from the hospital. So a little knowledge of a foreign language can be a very dangerous thing when it comes to patient care. Beyond that, when we fail to provide language access, we contribute to population-level health disparities. This is unequal treatment. It is the landmark report of the Institute of Medicine documenting sweeping and persistent health disparities between racial and ethnic groups in our country. They cite the failure to provide language access in our healthcare system as one of the contributors to these disparities. But it's been more than 15 years since this report was released, and we have not yet begun to confront the epidemic of undercommunication. So what can we do? We know definitively that patient outcomes improve with the use of formal language assistance, i.e. the use of professional, not ad hoc interpreters. Patients have fewer hospital revisits, and patient discharge understanding approaches that of native English speakers when professional interpreters are used. Beyond that, patient, interpreters improve patient safety, quality of care, patient satisfaction, and patient autonomy. And to underscore the importance of that last point, consider this. Traffickers and abusers are known to control encounters with their victims through language. You will never discover that your patient is being trafficked if you're using the trafficker as the ad hoc interpreter.
So the purpose of my talk today is to raise awareness of this epidemic of undercommunication with limited English proficiency patients and to give every one of you the knowledge and the vocabulary to become champions of language justice. Language justice is defined as the right to speak the language in which one is most comfortable, to understand and to be understood. Language justice is a critical component of racial and social justice, and it's incredibly important to our own work in the emergency department because nowhere is clear bi-directional communication more important. So for the rest of this talk, I'm gonna offer you strategies. Strategies both to assure that you're providing high quality care to your own LEP patients, and strategies to become champions of language justice. First and foremost, be aware of your patient's preferred language. On the individual patient level, this is as simple as asking them, in which, patient, in which language would you prefer to receive your healthcare today? On the hospital level, make sure that your hospital is actually asking that question and that all the clinicians know where in the chart that is reported. So in my hospital, we devised a process whereby that's the first question that patients are asked when they're checked into the emergency department. If they answer anything other than English, then that triggers an icon like this one on our tracking board that allows us to recognize that interpreter request without even having to open the patient's chart. Next, use an interpreter. Often in-person interpreters are a scarce resource. This is Laura, she is the only in-person interpreter in my entire hospital, and she is awesome, but there's only one of her. So we all have to be aware of what all the variety of resources are available and how to use the equipment for remote interpretation, such as the dual handset phones and the video machine interpreters. On the level of a language justice champion, just to, don't just know about the equipment, but also check the equipment in your department every once in a while and make sure it functions, right? So that it's available when you have a patient that you need it for. Think about the amount of equipment that you have and is it sufficient for the numbers of LEP patients that you see? If it, you have insufficient resources, then be the one to go to administration and advocate for what you need to provide high quality care. Next. Know how to work with an interpreter. So some of these points may seem obvious, but here's the thing. There's no standard place in the medical education curriculum that actually covers this material. So some of our trainees are unaware of best practices for working with an interpreter. So because of that, I want you all to take out your cell phones and take a picture of this slide, right? I wrote out these points on purpose so that you can bring them home and share them with your trainees and with your colleagues. Okay, while you're taking your pictures, I'm gonna highlight one last point. That last point there, call the interpreter back at the end of the interview. This is one that we often miss in emergency medicine. So if you needed an interpreter to extract the patient history at the beginning of the visit, then the patient needs the interpreter back in the room at the end to understand what happened to them and what they're supposed to do at home. Right. So now you all have your photos of this slide. So the next time that you're the one responsible for on-shift teaching or for a chalk talk, it's all prepared for you. You're gonna talk about best practices for working with an interpreter, and you'll be spreading important information and promoting health equity. Now, while you're discussing this, though, it is important to acknowledge, right, language assistance alone is insufficient to achieve clear bi-directional communication. There are other important pillars of communication, such as usable health information and cultural humility, but we can't even begin to address those other aspects until we're speaking the same language. Finally, Know the legal basis for the right to language access. This is Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. The phrase national origin in this statement has been formally interpreted by the Supreme Court 
to include primary language. So when you're in your admin's office advocating for those process changes or the equipment that you need, cite Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, and that will lend weight to your request. This is my hospital. When we first measured our rates of documented interpreter use for limited English proficiency patient encounters in the emergency department, it was 15%, one five. So over the course of a two-year period, we developed a, multi a multidisciplinary team, we used formal implementation science strategies, and we were able to double that rate from 15% to 30%. So we've made progress, but we have a long way to go. This work is not easy. I'm not saying that it is. But if we all act together as champions of language justice, we can move the needle. As George Bernard Shaw famously said, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. So, I hope that in this talk, I've made you aware of the epidemic of undercommunication with limited English proficiency patients and how it relates to population level health disparities. And I hope that I've given you strategies, both to assure that you're providing high quality care for your own LEP patients and strategies to help you join me in becoming champions of language justice.